This episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's is celebrating their crew members who help everyone feel a sense of community whenever they stop into a Mickey D's. Whether you know that one crew member who always remembers that you like your Big Mac with an extra pickle, or the crew member who always greets you in the drive-thru with a warm smile, thank you to McDonald's crew members everywhere for making our McDonald's visits even more special. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Sit up! We are done with counting shifts. There is only then and now. There is only one way out. Play it how you want. But I'm going to assume I'm already dead. And take it from there. There's no sense in warning the night shift. They'll hear about it one way or another soon enough. Let's make it look good. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV. I'm David Chen. And I'm Patrick Willems. Today, it's a special episode that we are recording live and in person from the island of Oahu in Hawaii. Uh, Patrick, we are here to speak at the Hawaii International Film Festival. Uh, We've actually both, as of this recording, already uh, done our speaking bits and uh, I think it's safe to say that we've had a lovely time here so far. Uh, beautiful place. You know what? Reminds me a lot of Nyamos. Mm, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, but a huge thanks to the Hawaii International Film Festival for inviting us here. Uh, but while we're here, we couldn't turn down the opportunity to record our conversation and review and recap of Andor Episode 10 today. One Way Out. One Way Out is the name of the episode we're going to be discussing. Dave and I are literally staying... Three floors apart in the same hotel mm-hmm. on the day that our new Andor episode drops. So, Kismet. How, Kismet. We, just so everyone knows, we normally live on opposite sides of the country. Yes. So this is a very special moment. Agreed. 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 So anyway, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find us on Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Decoding TV. All right, Patrick Willems. Uh, let's talk about season one, episode 10 of Andor, One Way Out. Let's do it. Uh, we'll begin by discussing overall thoughts. What do you think of this episode? Uh, a banger. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, we were all, we were so hyped up, especially by like the final scene and the final line of the previous episode mm-hmm. that we're just like, it, we know the prison break is coming. Yeah. And uh, I thought the prison break was thrilling. Um, I think... Is this the shortest episode of the season? This it was pretty sh- – I don't know about shortest. I, I think there's been some that have been like 30, 35 minutes, I think. Okay. This one was like 42 minutes, if I recall correctly, or something along those I lines. I think it's 42 with credits. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's – yeah, maybe – anyway, it felt like a little bit shorter, but it, because the bulk of the episode is 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 the prison break. Uh, we, we just kind of briefly touch in on the other storylines, not all the other storylines, because – Sadly, zero content. Yeah, that, in I mean this episode. Yes. Um, so, some of my overall thoughts on this episode. Uh, this episode is the concluding episode of a three-episode arc, right? That began with episode eight, right? So yep. it's eight, nine, and ten. Uh, and this episode promised to have a prison break. It did have a prison break. The prison break was excellent. It was really well done. Uh, my heart was in my throat. I was really stressed out the whole time I was watching it. Um, a big, big emotional episode for old Kino Loy. Totally. And in addition to being stressed out, I, I, I've been reflecting on, man, uh, Cassian Andor has probably had the most stressful like three months of anyone's <laughs> life in the galaxy at this point, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, from the escape from Ferrix all the way to the Aldani heist, all the way to um, the... Uh, where uh, sorry, Narkina Five Prison Break, right? Like th- this is just a set of trials that I, I don't even want to imagine what the final two episodes have in store for him. And know, this, this pretty point. much all happened because he went to the wrong brothel on the wrong night, <laughs> trying to find his sister. You know, I was uh, rewatching the first couple episodes of the show um, uh, with my wife, who you know I because I, I love the show so much and I wanted to show her the show, and you realize. Uh, how every person in the equation like contributed to the events of 
I guess a new hope, uh, you know, like like if Cyril Karn hadn't been so enthusiastic, like none of this would have happened, probably. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's it's the it does make you wonder. I mean, if Cassie and Andor were not in Rogue One, if this had if he had not joined the rebellion, would most of those events still have happened? Just with like they mm-hmm. would they assign just mm-hmm. some other guy. To go track down Jin or so. It's true. It's maybe. true. Maybe, maybe. Um, but in any case, uh, the episode was great. I would say the non-prison break stuff, uh, I have some, you know, qualms with, specifically the Mon Mothma stuff. I, As in, that's one scene. Yes, it's one scene. You know, there's not that much non-prison break stuff. Yeah. Um, but I have some qualms with that I will uh, articulate to you, but... Uh, yes, the, the prison break, they had to deliver on a, a good prison break. They did. It's really well done. There's mm-hmm. some really nice things about it that we'll talk about. Uh, the non-prison break stuff, I'm like, mm, you know, I have some issues with, but we'll talk about them. So overall, I thought, great episode. Uh, still really love the show. Yeah. So we will start by talking about the non-prison uh, break, break stuff. Now, before we get going, I do just want to call out that... Uh, in the past, we have talked about the track Nyamos that's on the soundtrack. Several people wrote in to say that, guess what? Nicholas Bertel had another album drop or a soundtrack drop, score drop, I guess. Yo, the new Bertel is the out. The new Bertel is out, right? And uh, so I think episodes, I want to say, 5 through 8 were released uh, on the score for 5 through 8 were released. And there are multiple Nyamos mixes uh, we now know there was Nymos like Morlana Club mix, and there's other Nymos mixes. I do think the Morlana Club mix is the best one. Yeah, but um, you can now on your favorite streaming service go and check out um, the other Nymos mixes. It's what all the kids are listening to in the hottest clubs. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Nymos Club mix. It's mm-hmm. uh, and I, I mean, genuine question. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if they're going to make like an official remix album Mm -hmm. but and have like different like electronic art music artists uh like remix specifically nyamos yeah yeah uh because i mean like like for instance they released a a whole remix record uh for the matrix resurrections score of just like 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 electronic like remixes of like the orchestral score Mm -hmm. for that movie so Mm I feel like, you know, Brattel's stuff in the Nyamos track is, like, already halfway there. Yeah, so I'd yeah. love to hear it. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out about the music is uh, – we ha- I don't think we've really talked about this, but uh, there is a, uh opening theme that, ap- like, you hear when the Andor main title appears. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, usually a lot of people look will like skip intro, and or you'll you might fast forward past that. But the score for that does change throughout the course of the season. It does. Yeah. Um, also, I, imagine being so impatient that you're like, I can't wait these twenty seconds. Well, I'm just gonna say that it's a lot of logos. It's like a Lucasfilm logo, it's a Star Wars logo, and then it's an Andor logo. And then, David, these uh, three logos are not as long as one Marvel Studios logo. <laughs> That, I'm sorry. I'm never. I will. I will never back down about the mm-hmm. fact that the Marvel Studios logo is offensively long and indulgent. Wow. You look at how short and classy the Lucasfilm one is. No sound. It's like five seconds long. Yeah. It just appears. It's really nice. And uh, and the Marvel Studios one. What is do you think? Of, like, what do you think of the Star Wars logo? You know, there's a Star Wars where you see like you know. I think it's R2 pointless. D2 and C3PO. I, I think it's and, yeah. pointless. It's like I know that Lucasfilm does include like Indiana Jones and willow for instance Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it just feels like look for the past 15 years anytime the lucasfilm logo appears it means star wars we don't need an extra star wars bumper to tell i mean what what person is not aware they're watching a star wars show okay you you know you just said hey i don't skip any of this stuff and then you also articulated a very great case for skipping all of it which is which is why, why i skip a lot of it so, See, I will – here's the thing. The only one that I mind yeah. is the little Star Wars thing, which yes. is also, again, a fraction of the length of the Marvel fair, Studios logo. Fair, fair. And I think the actual Andor title reveal, it's for a title sequence, short and classy. You get some cool music. Yeah. I'll watch it every time. Um. I will say something. I, I actually don't mind the Marvel Studios logo. And one of the things I really like is when they play with the music. Like there's a Marvel Studios opening theme now. But sometimes, you know, 
the theme will play backwards or it'll something weird will it'll be a different song i kind of like when they play with it you i know, mean so. the the what here's the thing it's like i don't i won't complain too much about it with the movies but the fact that they play the entire like minute long marvel studios logo in front of every episode of every tv show when you watch literally any other tv show on any um excuse me uh do you how long does like the hbo logo take Mm -hmm. it's like like, three seconds yeah right it's like most the way tv has usually gone it's like an episode of the simpsons ends Mm -hmm. and then at the very end of the credits there is gracie films and then and then 20th century fox and that's at the end it's just i i think it's obnoxious the way marvel does it and also marvel uh they had the perfect logo with the original page flip that debuted with the first Spider-Man movie mm-hmm. uh, that I think Kyle Cooper designed. And that was so beautiful yeah, and classy. That was, that was really nice. That this just feels like, I don't know, the... It's like the, the, the really excessive, ugly version of that. And um, I don't like it. Anyway, we're talking about Andor. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Andor. Actually, did we have uh, any messages or feedback? Uh, well, I, I was gonna. I didn't. Know, I didn't finish my point oh about my the about the Andor opening theme, which I'm is so that it is, sli- it is slightly different. And um, I was reading Screen Crush, and they were saying like their supposition is basically like as the series has gone on, um, the uh, the music has gotten more full and like more like richer and full bodied uh, to indicate that the uh, the rebellion is growing, basically. So that makes sense. And also Cassian is now is it's like it's like him going from like the 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 lone guy out on his own into part of something larger. Yeah. Yeah. And I I, I bet at some point uh, some good uh, music video essayist is going to do a video breaking down the evolution of Andor's opening title sequence music. And I look forward to watching that inevitable video. Indeed. All right. Hey, uh, folks out there, if you're watching or listening to this, Patrick H. Willems, famed YouTube video essayist, he's thrown down the gauntlet. Yeah. So and I'm job. not going to make it because I don't make Star Wars videos anymore. And yes. I also am not a person to analyze music. And this technically doesn't qualify as a Star Wars video for those who are curious. You heard it here first, yeah. folks. David yeah. Chen said it. At least on, on Patrick's channel. Okay. Let's talk about some of the stuff that happened in Andor Season 1, Episode 10. Uh, we're going to talk about the non-Narkina 5 stuff first, and then we're going to talk about the Narkina 5 stuff. You okay. want to jump right into Mon Mothma, your least favorite part of the episode? Yeah, sure. So there's a scene with Mon Mothma, and she meets Davos Skaldon, I believe, in this episode, right? A terrific name. Yes, great Star Wars name. And... Uh, and basically, she is trying to she she's meeting with Davos Skeldon, who is basically the Jason Bateman from Ozark of the Star Wars universe. Uh, uh, David, uh, explain this to me as someone who's never seen the show Ozark, and most of what I know about it comes from uh, last night when you <laughs> performed for a group of us um, the opening monologue yes. of the first episode. Jason Bateman is a skilled question mark uh, money launderer in the uh, Netflix original series Ozark. So he um, launders uh, drug, uh, you know, cartel drug money, basically. So, um, so yes, your comparison makes sense now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Davos Skeldon. A money launderer uh, is my sense, like the galactic equivalent of a money launderer. He can disguise the movements of Mon Mothma's money. There's a really like fun bit of dialogue they have where he's like, your money is yours. Like, you should be able to move it around however you want, you know, and mm-hmm. how, why should the Empire have a piece of it or look, know what's going on? Um, but then he, uh, she, you know, Mon Mothma asks, like, what's your price? He declines to name one, and she's like, "I'd really just prefer to like pay you. I don't want to owe anyone, least of all you." Uh, she has identified him as a thug, I believe, in the past. Yes, um, and he names his price, which is that he wants to introduce his son to Mon Mothma's daughter Lita, uh, because apparently it is Chandrillan custom that. Children get married to each other. I mean, we, we've already established that that's how Mon and Perrin. That's right. Uh, they were married when they were teenagers. Yeah. So uh, why do, did I not love the storyline? I guess I feel like the 
I, I feel like we don't quite know enough about Mon and her um, – what her attitude is towards Chandril and customs and um, – yeah, I don't know. I, I, I yeah, I rewatched this yeah. this morning. Yeah, uh, and I think I identified the problem here because back in I believe episode seven, yeah, I was saying on this on this very podcast, Mon Mothma is now like maybe the most interesting character on the show. Mm-hmm. I am riveted by these scenes of her having these secret conversations with Tay at dinner parties and having to like have put on like different faces depending on who she's talking to and all of that loved that stuff. I think the issue with the Mon Mothma storyline over this this arc, uh the the Bo Willimon written arc is that I think her goals about what she wants to do with this banking and moving money around and getting money, it's very vague. Yeah. Like, when we know that her—like, when we're watching a scene where we know her main goal is she has to uh, secretly or very, very discreetly hide from everyone else there and hide from her own family that she is trying to, like— lure someone into her side and reveal her actual political leanings uh that is exciting and suspenseful but because the actual mechanics of what she is doing with money and where the money is going and what the money is for it's very nebulous and uh and i think that's a little bit less exciting because i'm i'm just a little bit i'm not still entirely i know she wants money for rebellion stuff but uh, but there's no like specific stakes attached to it, right? It's, just, it's basically know, just yeah. like she's having trouble opening a bank account. Yes, <laughs> and um, and 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 that and the thing is, I did, I actually kind of perked up uh, at the idea of this guy basically like, like pretty much putting a price on this of of just like. I pretty much like I want your daughter to like marry my son. I know yeah. he does say like I'm not asking for a betrothal, but uh, yeah. but basically I just the, want an introduction, right? That's but the all, the, yeah. the idea of her having to contemplate kind of like sack, you know, using her own daughter as like a bargaining chip. Yeah. Suddenly it got more personal, and that that and that got more interesting to me than where this has been for the last couple episodes. Yeah, I think, you know, Scalden also talks about we can't live a non-conform or he talks about non-conformity. Like it can't it's not really an option for us. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we have we basically have to do a lot of stuff we don't want to do. Right. And that's obviously what Mon is struggling with this whole season. Um, So I think thematically it works. You know, like Mon is needing to increasingly make compromises into what she's willing to do for the rebellion. And like that's uncomfortable for her. But in terms of the specific stakes, you know, like, okay, let me just give you an example. She and her daughter don't get along very well. No. Right. Why does she... You know, why isn't she like, oh, yeah, sure, you can have her. It's fine. You know, like, that's a, that's a thing that that character might say. But, like, she doesn't because I guess, like, oh, she's really upset by this, like, basic idea of um, associating with this guy. Right? And, and Yes. And I felt like – I don't know. I guess I just felt like I needed some more – uh, character details to really – for the scene to really hit home. I think so, some of it comes from yeah. the fact that because we we don't – we don't spend a ton of time on the relationship with Mon and her daughter, yeah. other than we know that her daughter, you know, in a very teenage way, seems like kind of resentful of her and gets along better with her dad, who's yeah. like kind of like the fun, chill dad. Yeah. That's all we really know. And so if we – because, again, this is not the Mon Mothma show. This yeah. is uh, – she is a supporting character on a big ensemble show. Yeah. And if the show had devoted more time, like over the 10 episodes we've seen, to talking about, I guess, uh, why l- – like why Mon like really uh, resents and regrets having been forced into this marriage yes. as a teenager, and then and why and 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 maybe a bit more about her relationship with her daughter, and why even though there's like frustrations and stuff like yeah, that, they that, still really care about each other deeply. Ex- you know, exactly, like, yeah. and she and why she fundamentally does not want to 
force her daughter into the same tradition yeah. that she was when she was that age. And um, and I know, I mean, you, you can you can interpret all this stuff because yeah, it's can, like you can put it together. But looking yeah. at her relationship with Perrin and yeah. all of that, but um, I think it's. Uh, we're missing a, like a little bit that would probably make this land harder. Exactly. Um, yeah. That said, I'm still because we, we we do know where Mon's arc eventually goes. Yeah. Uh, and we do know. We actually don't do you, know. But do you think when Mon goes home from giving the many that Bothans died to get this information speech uh, that she's going home to Perrin and Lita? This is the thing. I'm 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 assuming at some point uh, her family exits the picture. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very curious to see where this will go. And, uh, I, that's it. I, I hope she gets this bank account set up soon <laughs> and, uh, and can move so over. So we can get off of the bank, bank account plotline. Just, yeah. d- just, just doing some slightly other stuff because yeah. that, honestly, that, like that one element of this storyline is maybe my only beef with the show in like in in quite yeah. a while like uh for this episode i have no again other than the lack of cyril karn um yeah. i have no other complaints and to be fair the content in the previous episode was so monumental it was uh, such a gift to both us and humanity as a whole i'd argue yeah i mean it motivated me to make a, a whole fan cam video which is not a thing that i have ever done before and yeah. maybe ever will again yeah um and so, yeah. So, uh, let's talk about that after the break. But, yeah. uh, but for for now, yes, I think I think we have a, we've tried to point out some of our issues with the Mon Mothma storyline. Um, it's not terrible. It's just like I wish we had a little more details there. You know, we we do get hints. You know, like obviously things are tense between her and Perrin. Um, Perrin wants the little worm thing inside his drink, and she doesn't. And it's like, okay, well, that's a sign that she doesn't like Chandrilla, or you know, yeah. all this stuff. Back, you that know, said. So. Uh, they need to add that warm drink at Galaxy's Edge. Yes. 100%. Seriously. I, I just, I will like, if they add that at a, what is it like Olga's Cantina or whatever, yeah. I will, I will travel back there and spend all that money because I got to have the warm drink. Yeah, totally. Okay. Can I also just say one more thing yeah. about uh, the Mon Mothma scene? Go ahead. Uh, once again, great fits, like, like across the board. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got yeah, outfits. Awesome outfits. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, also, uh, I just thought, you know, I didn't know this for a fact. Uh, I think it's interesting that they, they do establish that this is like uh, state housing, that she has provided mm. this home as a senator. Yeah. And interesting. I didn't know that. I yeah. thought maybe they're just rich and they got a fancy apartment. Yeah. All right. A couple of other scenes. There's one scene on Ferrex. Uh Marva is not doing well. Like you see a doctor go into Marva's house. And we learn that Marva is not taking her medicine. Yes. Uh, then we see Sinta seeing the doctor go into Marva's house. Then we see, I believe, an Imperial officer watching the whole thing take place as well. This is... That Imperial... If that's an Imperial officer, he doesn't look... He looks like he's dressed in more casual clothes. Yes, I think... Well, it's because Miro, last episode or two episodes ago, is like, hey, we're, we have someone watching Marva. So right. I think that's who she's talking about. Yeah. So... And yeah. so this was just like it's it's a very short scene. Yes. It, same thing with we have one scene with yeah. Dead Ramiro, yeah. and uh, just kind of following up on you know their plan, uh, you know with the, with this pilot they're gonna yeah. kill and uh, and all that. So an, a character that we had not really, I, I didn't really pay much attention. Lonnie Jung is the name of the character. Lonnie, this is a big episode for Lonnie. Yeah, uh, he's played by Robert Ems uh, and. This this is what's kind of one of the cool things about the show that I really like is yes they introduce like a hundred people with speaking roles and then all of a sudden one of them becomes super important out of nowhere like that's I kind of that's kind of cool I I prefer that to like um like it, it reminds me of um like honestly The Sopranos mm-hmm. uh, have you seen Sopranos um, I've only seen. A couple seasons of it. Yeah, I I, 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 I apologize, everyone. I will get back and finish it one day. So the Sopranos, like, what they would do is uh, you'd be introduced to all these characters, and then like episode, like season four, episode seven, or whatever, would like just randomly focus on like one of the characters, and like you follow that character home, and you meet their like wife and kid, and like all you know, all of us, and then they become like this major character in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of it's kind of cool. It, it makes the world feel really rich, and that's what happens with Lonnie Jung. Lonnie makes a suggestion about Anton Krieger. He's like, "Hey, maybe we should do this to uh, to further entrap Anton Krieger, or or we should um, 
I think he basically suggests that they don't change what their plan would be. They don't like let things play out. Instead, the Empire should intervene as they normally would, or yep. else they'll know something's up, right? And he kind of gets one over on Dedramiro. Like, yeah. Dedramiro kind of looks a little weak in that situation. And it's been interesting because Lonnie has been there basically since, I think, episode four, when Dedro was introduced. Yeah. And just one of the guys in the room. Yep. He's also, he has a very distinctive look. Yes. He's got red hair. He's got the mustache. He's, he's kind very- of like a Kirkland signature version of Donald Gleason is kind of what I would describe. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, you know, I, not in a bad way. I would have I called him. Kirk he's, he's like uh, the little, the little rat boy. Um, <laughs> uh, or that, or yeah. That. Uh, who, Patrick, who, these are real actors playing these people. <laughs> you on. know what? I bet if if he was asked to describe his, like, who is your character? You think in his headshot, he includes little rat boy as the tagline. You know, I, no, I, I'm not saying he is a person. As yeah. like this. I'm saying the character is the like character. Yes. Boy. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, but it, it's a guy where it's like the whole time I'm thinking like I'm not sure I know this guy's name, mm-hmm. uh, but. In every scene, he pops up, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that guy. I I remember that guy. He yeah. just he 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 has a, a look that sticks with you. Um, he's always tall, and like, there's no hasn't really been any like conflict between him yeah. and Dedra. He's just one of the imperial, one of the ISB officers. And suddenly in this episode, you learn he is enormously important. Yes, and we learn so much about him, and like his personal life and all of these things. Yeah, and I'm like. I mean, well, you you see him kind of take this elevator and he goes to this location, the secret location, and you don't even know what. Well, I, I didn't even I didn't even like recognize that that was the same guy. Like at first, I was like, "Oh, is that the guy from the?" Well, thing? they do the, the same thing that they did with Clay yeah. uh, a while back, where we just follow someone walking through Coruscant for yeah. a long time. Also, I gotta say. Lonnie makes a rookie mistake here, which is, as we've learned in Andor, if you want to be sneaky, you wear a big hood. <laughs> I don't know why he was not wearing a big hood. Where's the big hood? I agree. But oh, it's a thing that I love seeing here uh, just because, you know, Coruscant, obviously, the whole planet is a city. Um, so there, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big place. There's also all these levels to it. It's like a, it's like a famous thing in Star Wars lore. It's like almost no one has ever, like— actually been to like the surface of Coruscant mm-hmm. because uh the city just goes up forever um but i uh, um I, I i love we usually see the big fancy like rich person part of Coruscant yes. and so this part when when the show cuts to this elevate this like elevator on the outside of a building going way down somewhere and then following him kind of walking through like the sketchy part of Coruscant. Yep. The, uh, I'm not going to say like the red light district yep. of it, but it's like, I love seeing these other like neighborhoods and other views of Coruscant. And again, it's, uh, reminds me a little bit of like the, the opening, uh, of the first episode on Morlana one, just like kind of like, you know, the Blade Runner vibes. Yeah. And, um, and then it's, I think this is an incredible scene. It's an incredible scene. And, you know, you had remarked like, Yesterday is I, I, you th- thought I was done in one long continuous shot, and I think like most of it is one long continuous well, shot. This right? is what's really interesting yeah. about the scene because he gets into this elevator. Yeah. He, in a very kind of like Godfather manner, like reaches up on yes. to, to pull out this little uh, it's like a Bluetooth like, headset, yeah, an earpiece <laughs> that's been left for him, yes. um, that's been secretly stashed there, and yeah. he puts it in, and uh, you know types in like a really hot, he also puts. The elevator to express to go to some like high number, yeah. and um, and then the way this scene plays out, it is it is pretty much the camera is locked on his face yeah. in a tight close up, tight close up for like you do it's cutting off like the top part of his head, yeah, yep. and and the scene is it, it's lit entirely with like harsh like greenish yeah. fluorescent lights, yeah, um, but it's locked on his face for a solid three minutes as he has a conversation with Luthen basically over the phone, yeah. But what the scene does is it has a few jump cuts, mm, which is something yeah. that I've never seen. I was like, done I was like, Wars. I was like, I was looking for the long continuous shot, but then I remember there being cuts, but they're very subtle, right? They're, but they are jump cuts. Yeah, they they jump are. They're, it's basically as if like it's the same take, but they just snipped out like three seconds, YouTube style, basically. Yeah, yeah. and so it's like it, it it gives it this like weird anxious feeling yeah uh because they're just like suddenly like 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 chopping just like like just like because the way jump cuts go especially when it's like handheld jump cuts in a tight close-up with this like like 
unpleasant, harsh lighting. Uh, you just, it kind of like throws you off balance a little bit. Also, the elevator is kind of like shaking around. He's like holding like a handle yeah. uh, as if he's on a bus or something like that. And uh, and there's a few little jump cuts. One of them happens also like when the lights flicker. And I feel like it's it mm. really, really good to, to like, Toby Haynes is crushing it like every episode. And I think it's a really nice little touch and a bit of visual language that I can't recall ever seeing in Star Wars. I love this whole scene because uh, I don't know about you, but do you ever feel helpless in an elevator? Like being in an elevator, you, you sometimes feel like, oh, like anything could happen to me. David, I, I, I had this thought uh, <laughs> half an hour ago when I rode the elevator up three floors to come to this room to record. <laughs> uh, yeah, and yes. it's just like it's just like I've never – I'm sure there have been scenes where like there's people talking to someone in an elevator like in a threatening way. But like I've never seen one like this where it's like there's this – they're theoretically on the same side. They're mm-hmm. working together, but there's this very sinister under, undercurrent to everything that's going on. He obviously opens by talking about Luthen opens by talking about Lonnie's daughter, and it's like, okay, you're clearly like right because like that they know. haven't been in touch yeah. in a year, yeah. and in that year, he's had a child. Yeah. So can I also just say one thing about the scene? Like, uh, again, I don't know how they. Sh- I don't know the behind the scenes stuff, but. They must have done it with, like, him actually talking live to Stellan Skarsgård, mm-hmm. who was, I guess, like, off-camera or whatever. Because, yeah, or someone reading Stellan's lines, but yeah. Well, well I, like, I, th- I my assumption is that, that, like, because the timing of this is so crucial mm-hmm. and uh, and it's basic—and most of it is one continuous shot, yeah. I'm like, they must have been able to actually act off each other because this is—it's an intense phone call. Perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, you know, movie magic is capable of a lot of things, yeah. but— but, uh, yeah, it's just like, wow, this is a really intense scene because this guy is like basically helping. He's dead to rights. He, yeah. sh- he shouldn't have gotten the elevator at all, basically. Um, but why, why would he, why would he be afraid? Because they're theoretically working together. Anyway. So here are some things we find out from their phone call. Uh, first of all, Lonnie asks Luthen if he was responsible for Aldani and Luthen lies to him. Yep. So it's like Luthen is setting up. He's like, yeah. oh, they asked if he wanted to be involved, yeah. but we said no. Yeah. I love how Luth is talking about it like it's a podcast uh, appearance. <laughs> He's like, yeah, he asked if I wanted to guest on Joe Rogan, but I was like, I can't make it that day. Yeah. You know, it's like that's how they plan Aldani. Um, but uh, so it's like, okay, even though Lonnie's working for him, like Luthen still is like extremely careful. Um, by the way, I think someone wrote in. They either tweeted or commented or pointed out that like. If you go back and rewatch the, the early episodes and Luthen's like pitching the Aldani heist to Andor, you realize that Luthen probably would have killed Andor if he'd said no. Uh, like he's like, oh, if you don't want to do it, I'll drop you off somewhere. It's like, yeah, drop you off like in a in a dumpster. Right. At, at this point, we have learned that Luthen is so much more ruthless yes. than we initially yes. thought. Well, and if you weren't sure of that from the subtext, then it's made text by the very long monologue that he gives. But – uh, anyway, Lonnie has a daughter, and Lonnie explains to Luthen, hey, Dedra Miro, she's on to you. She's calling you access. Um, y- she's the person you want to look out for, basically. Yeah, so he's like, there's, there's a new person who's, like, rising up through the ranks yeah, of the yeah, ISB. Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, a new hotshot yes, star. Yes, um, uh, By the way, we, we, you know, one of the things that people predicted – well, you know, let's finish the Luthen scene, and yeah. then we'll talk about Miro because I want to talk about some of the content uh, yes. before we move on. But anyway, so yeah, so then uh, Luthen basically says, okay, and uh, Lonnie reveals to Luthen that uh, they know about the Spellhouse attack, mm-hmm. right? And so Lonnie's like, well, we got to figure out a way to like thwart or or stop the Spellhouse attack from happening. And Luthen's like, um, no, I'm not going to do that because uh, yes, 50 men will die. In the spellhouse deck, uh, but on the flip side, you'll still be in place, and that's how important you are. As I'm willing to sacrifice fifty men for you, Lonnie. So then Lonnie gets to the top floor. They have a conversation. Whoa, you know, whoa. Go ahead. You can't skip over one of the best images of the episode, <laughs> uh-huh. which is we're st- we're still in the elevator as yeah. they reach the top floor, and the door opens, and we just see out there on a platform with a space cape. <laughs> Luthen. Yes. It's like like that is 
like that's a trailer shot right mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. uh because they're basically like talking pretty much on this just, like elevated walkway yeah. out there where it's all dark and you've just got stellan skarsgård his cape blowing in the wind as the doors open to reveal him that's incredible it I looks agree. so cool i agree, I agree. And, and i love the way this scene is lit where uh luthan has you know uh He's out there with a slightly more flattering lighting on yes. him, and he's talking to Lonnie, who just is in the had this like ugly green lighting yes. on him, and it, it just basically Luthen looks awesome. Lonnie looks utterly pathetic here, <laughs> which is great for the scene because Luthen, I, I mean, uh, Lonnie is basically being like. This, like being a double agent is really difficult yeah. and I'm really scared all the time and I want to leave and please don't make me do this anymore. And, yeah. um, and Luthen is like, no, no. You, you will. Sorry. So actually, David, I want your interpretation of yes. this. Now that we've learned more about Lonnie, um, how do you think Lonnie and Luthen ended up in this relationship? Do you oh, think, yeah. do you think Lonnie is like sympathetic toward the rebellion? Yes. Okay. I think so. And, and I think like, he seems like a decent person. Uh, because he's like, I don't want 50 men to die on my behalf, you know? Right. So, um, he's clearly has more humanity in the, than, than Luthen. And probably he's seen, he probably is like has a similar plot line to like Gorn, you know, where he saw some of the injustices and he's like, I can't put up with this anymore. You right. Know? But at the same time, he's also like, I want to get out. I want to stop helping you yeah. and basically just go back to doing my job, yeah. actually working for the empire. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's quite in the Gorn position where he's, mm. where he's like, I want to. No, 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 no. He was saying like, he's going to try to get out of the game completely. That was my sense was like, he's, oh. he, his, his wife has a shipping business or something like that. Or, oh, oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so he's, he's trying to get out. He's like, I have health excuses I can give. And Luthen's like, that's not going to happen. You, you need know? to stay in place. Interestingly, like, you know, bringing up the Sopranos, there actually is a very similar plot line in the Sopranos of a character who's like trying to get out of the game. And it also doesn't go well for that person. Oh. So, um, Hey, look, we have no idea what happens to Lonnie. Yeah, he's Made. he's not mentioned either positively or negatively in the uh, any of the other Star Wars movies we've seen. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to toss out a, a theory, mm-hmm. a prediction yeah. that I am sure will not be true. Um, so I, uh, you know, Andor is going to be a two season show. Yeah, and uh, you know, at the end of uh, season two, it will bring us pretty much right up to the events of Rogue One. Um, I hope the end of of the final episode. I hope the series finale of Andor ends with a. Uh, you know how American Graffiti ends mm, with just right. text yeah. telling you what happens to each person. Mm-hmm. Like one guy like dies in Vietnam and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I hope it's the same thing. Except every, every Imperial <laughs> person just says they perished on the Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> my they, favorite. One they of died those, in the Battle of Yavin. My favorite one of those is from Walk Hard. Minor spoiler for Walk Hard, <laughs> but he's like Dewey Cox died three minutes after this performance. <laughs> Like that's amazing. Well, one of the best ever. <laughs> yeah. I just think it'd be funny if we just have like yeah. freeze frames of yeah. every Imperial officer, yeah. and it, yeah. they just all died in the exact same way, except yeah. for Blevin, who we know died in the Battle of Endor. Yeah. Um. Well, Patrick, let's take a break for a moment, and we're not going to talk more about the Luthan scene. We will, we will, but I want, I want to take a break first. I mean, if you're a character, if you're a character like Lonnie Jung in Andor, the TV show. Uh, what Lonnie sounds like he needs is a break, you know? I think he really needs a break. And also he needs to, after this harsh, stressful conversation with Luthen, he needs to talk to some people who actually, like, care about yes. him and want to help him out. He needs, like, on top of that, perhaps some food and liquid refreshment would do him some good. Yeah. You know what I'm guessing he does? I bet he gets right back in that elevator, uh, takes it up to, like, the nice neighborhood on Coruscant and probably – you know, walks into his local McDonald's. I, I agree. Um, are, are, are the canonical Star Wars equivalent of McDonald's. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, this episode of Decoding TV, it's funny you mention that, because this episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. That's great news. Uh, you know, it's no surprise here that at Decoding TV, we love the idea of community. Uh, over the last decade or so, I have really been grateful to foster communities and all the podcasts that I do, including with Decoding TV, as well as with the Filmcast. And Patrick, you know, um, this is our first regular podcast together, but I think even in the short time that we've been doing it together, you see this community that's already kind of built up around this show, are talking about it. They're, ha- you know, they're 
adopting the hashtags. They're writing in with their ideas of what should happen in the show. And I love it because this is like life imitating art because this is essentially a show about the building of a community, which is the Galactic Rebellion. Indeed. Indeed. That's why I'm really excited to partner with McDonald's with Decoding TV. They truly care about fostering a sense of community. And one of the biggest ways McDonald's fosters a sense of community is through their incredible crew members who work hard to truly make you feel like you're right at home. Yeah. You know those prison guards on Narkina 5? McDonald's crew members are like the opposite of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and indeed uh, they are really nice friendly and they serve you quickly and efficiently and i always have a great time when i'm picking up food at my local mcdonald's down the street from me uh and i'm just impressed by the level of service that mcdonald's crew members show so uh whether you know that one crew member that always remembers that you like your big mac with an extra pickle or the crew member who greets you in the drive through with a warm smile A huge thank you to McDonald's crew members everywhere for making our McDonald's visits even more special. McDonald's, I'm loving it. (laughs) Thank you, Patrick. So, uh, thanks to McDonald's for sponsoring this episode of Decoding TV. Let's talk about, let's talk about the rest of the scene. Luthen gives a monologue to end all monologues. This is clearly a monologue written by the person who created the U.S. version of House of Cards. (laughs) I mean, this right here, it's funny because I wouldn't have said this uh, – I would not say the words I'm about to say about any anything that's happened in any of the other Star Wars shows. This here is Stellan Skarsgård's Emmy clip. Mm. This is – I mean, genuinely, I I hope – like, they, like, the Mandalorian got all these, like, Emmy nominations mm-hmm. and probably won some stuff. If that did – they should absolutely be submitting Andor for everything. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but this is this is Stellan Skarsgård's uh, best supporting actor in a television drama mm-hmm. clip. This um, I can I read a little bit, please, of of this monologue. Give us a dramatic performance. Uh, um, so. Basically, what uh, you know, what Lonnie's saying, he's like, "I've sacrificed so much yeah, to what, help with this. What have you? What, what have you sacrificed?" And then, and Luthen's just like, "Oh man, oh." Too late. You, How you, dare you even ask? Yeah. Luthen is unchained now. You, you, you. Oh God, dude, you got me started. Um, uh, he's like, I've given up all chance at inner peace. I've made my mind a sunless place. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago to which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. And then he just keeps going from there about basically like he's using his enemies tactics and weapons against them because he has to sink to their level to accomplish his goal. He is basically he's like he he's pretty much saying. I know that I am a bad person because of what I am doing, yeah. and I will never be happy. I will probably like die miserably with like no one, like right. no one who loves me because I like I have committed every everything up, like in my life to this one singular goal. Yeah, it's an interesting view on the rebellion, which is not only that often to succeed. Like the the thesis that it is putting forth is that not only in order to succeed, must you touch evil, must you do the things that your enemy does, um, but also that often the people who are most responsible for these things are never known. Mm-hmm. Like you never know who they actually are. That's what that's one of the things he says. Like no one's ever gonna, you know, I'm you know fighting for a sunrise that I'm never gonna see. Like no no one will ever know what my name is or recognize me. And in fact. I don't know if you're, you know, I don't think the name Luthen has been mentioned in Star Wars previously. Wouldn't it be funny if I, if the medals that yeah, like, like Luke and Han get yeah, at the yeah. end of A New Hope are actually like the Luthen Rail the- Memorial Award? <laughs> it could but be you, possible. Yes, maybe, maybe that's what it says. But they'll just it, do an extra, extra, extra special edition of, yeah. of the movies where they'll just have some uh, like AI create new off-camera dialogue for for Carrie Fisher yeah. to be like. And this is all thanks to a great hero named Luthen who helped start the rebellion. Yeah. Um, to be very clear, that would be bad. We don't want that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't do that. But uh, but I mean, this is the thing of like I bet I want. Here's here's a genuine question. Yeah. I wonder if George Lucas is watching Andor. Uh, mm. I wouldn't be at all surprised if I, I, if he's totally checked out of all current Star Wars. I know he like visited the set of The Mandalorian and stuff like that, but I'm not expecting he's watching most of this stuff. Yeah. I genuinely hope he's watching Andor because over the years, Lucas talked a lot about how a lot of his inspirations for Star Wars were, uh, you know, 
like things like the Vietnam War and kind of thinking of the like everything from like the Ewoks to the rebellions, kind of like the Viet Cong fighting this like giant like empire, this yeah. uh, like this invading force. But he's always you know Lucas has always been a, a more political guy than he often gets credit for, and I feel like Andor is. So much in the spirit of what Lucas's interests always were, yeah. uh, that I think he would be really excited about a lot of this. That that, that uh, uh, the finally, finally, uh, people making Star Wars aren't just interested in like the fun toys and yeah. like spaceships he like he designed like years ago, but are actually interested in like the the core ideas yeah. that he was trying to get at. And uh, just I. I think George Lucas would be happy. And, yeah. and and this kind of scene with Luthen and this kind of perspective on the rebellion, I think he'd like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I don't who knows what his attitude is at this point, but look if, if George is just chilling out and he's yeah. like, I am done with Star Wars forever, don't even mention it to me, I get it completely. He deserves it. Okay. Well, that is all the non Narkina five stuff. Now, before we move well, on. Oh, there's the one scene with Dedra. Yeah, yeah, I thought we already went over that where like they oh, yeah. they agreed to do the thing. But that's what I was going to talk about next is right. you know, one of the biggest weaknesses of this show, this episode is a startling alarming lack of hashtag content. Yeah. Um Kiro not a thing here. Kiro not a thing in this episode. Dedra shows up for one brief scene where she doesn't, you know, she's shown up by Lonnie um we don't see Cyril at all in this episode, and obviously that's a huge loss. But, you know, one place where you can see Cyril Karn is on Patrick H. Willem's Twitter account, where he has assembled a viral video uh, for key, hashtag Kiro Shippers. Yep. Uh, I, I mean, I feel like, you know, uh, people are starting to use hashtag Kiro, and I would say that... We this podcast has to be one of the, if not the first place that agreed upon hashtag Kiro. It must be because I feel like early on when this first came up, we did we we like tossed yeah, around yeah. some options for names and then settled on like Kiro being yes like the one. It just sounds the best. Yes, yes. and uh, yeah. So you made this fan cam video of the two, you know, basically hoping the two the two of them get together and yes. uh, unleashed it upon the world. It is. One of the most brilliant videos I've ever seen in my life. I would highly recommend it. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes. If if I'm lucky, I'll convince you to let me post it on the Decoding TV YouTube channel. Oh, but, you know. oh, uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's. I mean, the thing about this was, look, like a lot of us, I've recently been listening to uh, the new Taylor Swift album a lot. Yeah. And um, and at some point, I was like riding the subway, and I was listening to the final track on the album, Mastermind, and uh, and I was realizing, you know what. We already we we we've been talking about it, having a lot of fun with the idea of mm-hmm. like the two most like loathsome little like uh like ambitious fascists in the galaxy yes. like what if what if they got together from a, a truly cursed relationship yeah. and um and listening to this song I was like wait a second there's some uh some of the the lyrics in this song <laughs> if they were paired up with visuals mm-hmm. uh it would it would work so well yes and um and i had to and especially and then after the last episode when when we had the scene yes. uh outside the isb offices i had to do it um and, and you've received uh, some interesting support and response from people i think you said some people involved in star wars have actually shared your videos right? uh uh yes Pablo Hidalgo, head of the Lucasfilm Story Group, who works on Andor, uh, was one of the first people to retweet it and uh, and said, I, I believe he said, I have nothing to apologize for. Mm. Um, and um, and so, look, there you go. Lucasfilm employees endorse my uh, my truly cursed video, <laughs> and um, and I'm so proud, and uh, and I'm I'm really <laughs> I'm really glad that that was not. A huge waste of like the hour or so it took to put together. I mean, it wouldn't have been a huge waste anyway because you would have been putting out, you know, something brilliant into the universe. Thank David. That means a lot. I mean, people like Mozart weren't appreciated in their time. You know what I'm saying? So, like, just because people don't love it doesn't mean it's not a great work of staggering genius. That that is true. And Um, that's why, right here, right now, I am uh, excited to announce that I am quitting the video essay game forever and I'm pivoting entirely uh, to fan cams uh, based on. 
ships on television shows. That is where the money's at. And by the money, I mean zero dollars. Yeah, you know, you know how much I made from uh, this one? Mm, nothing. Nothing. But I, nice. but I got some followers. Yeah. And as we all know, right now, at this very oh, moment, this time, very moment yeah. new Twitter followers are a really valuable oh, thing. Oh, so valuable. It, the stock has gone so high for new Twitter followers and, and functions, exactly. uh, you know, as it were. So, yeah. Anyway. I, I, I think, look, look, this is going to pay out like a slot machine pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I, I'm just saying I'm It excited. will pay out like a slot machine. That's right. Um, on that note, we also got some people emailing and tweeting at us speculating on um, how Cyril might become more intertwined with uh, the Dedra Miro storyline. One person suggested that, like, remember last episode, there was someone who was like, wait a second, he was clean shaven. And figured out that it was Cassian Andor from that. And then, like, somebody somebody said, oh, maybe that person's a little too eager. And Dedra's going to stomp that person out and bring Cyril in instead. Um, but uh, one of the suggestions I like the most that I saw on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash decoding TV, is the idea that um, Cyril is somehow, in trying to get Cassian Andor, uh, going to inadvertently foil whatever Dedra Miro's plan is, which would be delightful. So I don't know if you're placing any bets, Patrick, but I wanted to bring up those possibilities. I I genuinely don't know where this is going to go yeah. because again, it's um it's it's hard to tell exactly based on their scene in the last episode how Dedra is feeling. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's clearly like and like initially like horrified and repulsed and like freaked out yes. that Cyril has shown up there. But there, there's a glimmer of. Her appreciating this person's level of passion and emotion mm-hmm. for like literally less than two seconds, she right. feels that way. I think so. I don't know uh, if, if this is a thing where if she sees him again, she will actually put him in a cage on the outer rim. Mm-hmm. Um, or look, we also don't know anything about Dedra's personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know. We don't know if this is a situation where is she, there a Mister Miro? Right? Or is she so sad and lonely that she might? go on a date with this one guy who mm. has uh, shown her that there is, um, you know, beauty and justice in the galaxy. I, I don't know. Um, but also, there's a part of me that uh, wouldn't be surprised if uh, Cyril goes and, I don't know, buys a blaster himself and decides that he's going to, like, prove his value yeah. by independently tracking down and, uh, you know, and catching and maybe killing Cassian Andor. We will see. Okay, let's talk about the Narkina 5 storyline. So this is the prison break. Uh, It begins in this episode moments, like literal seconds after the last episode ended. Yeah. Um, So Olaf is dead. And they're kind of wheeling his body out. And, and they, they uh, seem to be taking it through uh, yeah. another work floor that the night shift is working on right now. I really like that scene because... Uh, everyone's on program, which is they are stood, you know, face forward with their hands on their head. And uh, it just n- hammered home how dehumanizing this whole thing is. You have a dead person, you know, someone who you're working with moments ago and everyone's just kind of standing, you know, uh, under duress. Basically, mm-hmm. they can't like pay tribute. They can't acknowledge this dead person. Well, uh, I yeah. think the people out there now don't really know Olaf because that's, sure. that, that's the new shift. But yeah, you, you know, what I'm saying I, I, I do. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so then at that point, Andor and Kino Loy have a brief scene of dialogue where Andor is like, hey, look, we got to go tomorrow. Like, they're going to bring in someone new for Olaf. That's the best opportunity we have to do this. Right. Because we um, already saw in the previous episode that they were – when a new guy was coming in, they considered enacting their plan yes, then and there. Yes. Uh, I guess the idea is that, like, when the lift is lowered, that's when the guards are most weakest in terms of their power. Yes, right? and it also them. seems like it, then it's easier to climb up yeah. because, I mean, we see the whole plan play out. It's a pretty good plan. It's yeah. it's really, like, I mean, watching, a, like, a, a prison break work like this, it's kind of similar to the joy of, like— uh, a heist sequence in a heist yeah. movie where it's like they spend all this time planning and you get to see like all the steps to their plan and everything kind of fit together. Yeah. It's yeah. uh it's great. Uh, a lot of great quotes in this episode as with all uh, and or episodes. Uh, I'm sure and, you wrote down some. I did too. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather die trying to take them down than die giving them what they want. Yes. That's what Cassian Andor says to Kino Loy. And, uh, and when, uh, when Cassian is really like he, Cassian, 
uh, who uh, there have been episodes where he barely speaks, and he is like giving a speech here uh, to Kino to really convince him like to to join them, yeah. and he's explaining that like um, right now, like even though. You know, they, they seem so much more powerful. Uh, he's like, they are getting freaked out by, like, the fact that, like, we might know uh, that they, like, you know, fried those guys. One one of the lines, he says, power doesn't panic. Power, power they, doesn't panic. They yeah. are panicking right now. And he says, like, every day we wait, they get, uh, they get stronger. And yeah. so they might, they'll probably bring in more guards and all of that. Like, they really have to go, like, they've got to go now. Yeah. And I think... For me, the the most powerful part of this episode, and I, I know I, I was saying some of this, uh, some similar stuff last week, but is just watching Andy Serkis' performance over the course of this episode yeah. and watching the journey that Kino goes through and um, and watching him, you know, be hesitant to, to sign on to the idea of the prison break. And then once they are back in their cells... Uh, finally him just making the decision to like, uh, because he's the guy, he is the guy who, you know, uh, he's, was it, he's like the, the shift leader that is his his actual title. Um, but him basically like shouting and like commanding everyone there, like this is going to happen. Like he's telling them all the exact information that they learned from the doctor about, the other floor being all executed. He's telling them that they are never going to get out. And also, you've got to imagine that Kino's probably been here a while. Yeah. Like, Cassian's been here, <laughs> what, like a bit over a month? Yeah. yeah. And uh, Kino, maybe years. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and I don't want to skip ahead too much, but like, he has a, a, a big speech that he gives later on, yeah. which I think is like a, a beautiful piece of acting. Yeah. But I think the show is also positioning Cassian Andor as, you know, it shows you what he's good at. He is really good at keeping track of like a lot of different details, making a plan. But also what's interesting to me is he's good at motivating others. You know, there's this bit, the, the scene you described where they finally like take over everything. And he, he says, Kino, it has to be you. You have to give the speech because Kino is obviously a really charismatic dude. In most other shows, it would be Cassian giving the speech. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, he's the guy who's in charge of – he's the name of the show. Like why – you know, but they're, they're, they decided that they would make him motivate someone else to give a speech. And in fact, that's kind of what he does in Rogue One as well yeah. to some degree, right? Um, and I just think that's a really interesting perspective to take on the character is like he's not the big charismatic leader – Sometimes, sometimes he is the person motivating the. He's character. the guy behind the scenes, yes. uh, putting all the the pieces in place. Yeah, he's the producer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what this show is trying to highlight. This episode specifically, too, with Luthen's speech is like there's all these people behind the scenes making the thing happen. So, uh, but yes, the prison break occurs, uh, and there's a lot of amazing moments. Like one of my favorite ones is when Kino Loy gives that speech right before they're about to start working, and he's like, "Let's make it look good," folks, and then like. You know, the, they turn off the floor and then they are able to get on the floor. Okay, well, can we go through the steps of the plan? Sure. Because I love it. So it's it's similar to we saw in the last episode. Uh, a new guy is coming in yeah. uh, to to replace Olaf. Cassian goes to the bathroom. Yeah. Knocks out the panel. Yeah. Starts sawing away at this pipe. And and the last time I, I you know I wasn't entirely clear what right. the plan was of like what it, what is in that pipe. Why is he sawing at yeah. it? And it all makes perfect sense. The idea is that there's water in the pipe. The water goes in the ground. When they try to activate the floor, it will, like, create an electrical charge through the water, up through the system, and, like, short out the whole system. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So so they will basically just uh, make it impossible. The, 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 what they're doing is taking away the biggest weapon the guards have, yes. which is the electrified floor. Yeah. Uh, and so – and it, it works out perfectly because Cassian is frantically, like – prying and sawing at the yeah. pipe to kind of to get it to break open and start spilling the water out and then as the new guy is coming in two of uh, the people at their table break out into a fight uh to, to like yeah. you know, so get, get the guards to suddenly free pretty much yeah. get the guards to the point where they're you know going to like electro the floor or whatever and uh and then yeah water pours out onto the floor kino shouts for them all to get up on the tables um, we have to say, like, the editing is, like, exceptional, in my opinion. It's, like, yeah. cutting between all these different things that are happening at, like, a really nice pace and amping up the tension. And when, like, the you know, you see, like, the water flowing into it, and you're like, what's going on with that? What's going to happen with that? And, like, every time they cut away to a new thing, you're like, what is going to happen with that thing? Right. right? And they've also established the geography of yeah. this whole facility really nicely. Like, 
a bit later on, uh, they enter like the main control room and yeah. they have this great visual, which is just a big like top down diagram yeah. of the entire place with like little dots, dots of yellow yeah. to represent each person. And you can see all the people flooding into the center yeah. uh, of, of the Narkina 5 facility. It's it's really cool. Yeah. And you see a lot of the other prisoners who um, what was cool to me is like my guess is they only built one of those factory floor sets. Right. Yeah. So they so they they populate with all these different groups of people to make it seem like, oh, wow, there's thousands, you know, there's 5000 of them there. Same thing with like the uh, the cells or like yeah. the, the bunks and yeah, all of yeah. these things. And you see them like breaking out and it's like really it feels very empowering of them to do that. And um, but one of my favorite moments is when the water has flowed in they like flip the switch to try to electrify them and it it doesn't work and then there's this big pause and then Keanu Loy screams attack and it's like oh it's so bad it's like freaking Braveheart man it's amazing and it's great because it's and then you just see Andy Circus just charge yeah, forward yeah uh yeah it's uh it's it's really good stuff and also um a lot of the prisoners also just die yeah. in this prison break. Like, like, like when they electrify the floor, what, uh, when it's covered in water, one guy doesn't get on the table in time, yeah. and he just dies. He just yeah. gets fried to death yeah. right there. It's yeah. uh, it's rough. A lot of people, uh, you know, the guards have blasters. They yeah. uh, they and they're like set to kill. They're, it's like oh, yeah. this is not going to like burn you. This is not like set phaser to stun. They kill right. I, I will say every time Melshi was on screen, I relaxed a little bit. Yes. I'm like okay because we know Melshi's going to make it to Rogue One. Yes, but every everyone else, I'm like anyone like Keen Aloy might die. And in yeah. fact, I mean, we don't know what we happens. Don't know what happens. happens. I thought that was very smart. Didn't you think that was? I, I thought yeah. it was smart. I was like because I think they want to leave open the idea that Keen Aloy is still part of this universe. Is my guess. Um, Potentially, but also just just this idea. And sorry to skip to the end of the episode, but uh, this idea that that Andor just like over the past day mostly has had this like really impactful experience with this one guy. Mm-hmm. He motivated this guy to straight up lead like a little minor rebellion yeah. within this prison, and then suddenly. You know, they're they're running to the edge of the prison where yeah. people are jumping into the water. It's the only way to escape. And uh, Kino is saying, I can't swim. And he's hesitant to, to jump over. And then Cassian just gets knocked yeah. by, like, by, like, rushing prisoners, falls into the water, and just he— he can't go back. Yeah. Uh, he he doesn't see what happens to Kino, and this is the way life goes. Like suddenly, because he just gets tipped over the edge, he might never see him again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I do think that to some degree we are starting to really feel the some of the limits of this three episode structure, right? Like, I love the three episode structure because you get like amazing writers directors come in and do this stuff, but then there's some dis- there's some real disadvantages to it. One of them is. Many of the episodes feel like they just end abruptly, you know, and that's a that's a bummer. Um, but another one is you kind of know that when someone famous like Andy Serkis shows up, they're probably not going to be with us past like this arc. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. There's have, there have been exceptions like uh, Vel still in the show, Vel and Sinta still in the show. Yeah, but like everyone else died in that plotline, right? So like basically at the same time yeah. when we were watching the uh, the heist arc, I wasn't watching it being like. Well, you know, yeah. uh, like like even Moss Backrack is such a big star. There's yeah. no way he'll be around for like we didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, and I, they could have survived and not been in the show. They, right? Yeah, they could have. I mean, uh, it's also. I, I mean, here's the thing. I, I think what most shows probably would have done, uh, because that we see too much of this in television, mm-hmm. is take any one of these arcs uh, in the season of Andor, any one of these three episode arcs, and take like ten episodes to tell that story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and well, do, I think that was like close to what their original plan was, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like, it, I think for season two at least. I think it was a yeah. bit more season two because season yeah. two is going to like jump ahead like a year yeah. between yeah. each arc. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I will say this episode feels like it has an ending. Like yes, they, totally. they escape. They, yeah. they they get out, and whenever wherever we jump after this, like I I, I feel fully satisfied with the prison storyline. Totally, totally. And um and I like the and I you know obviously there is the like real world logistics thing of like okay Andy Circus is like a a bigger actor and you know maybe yeah. they can only get him for three episodes but I just like the the, the bittersweet ending to it where it's yeah. like. He might just not see Kino again. Yeah, it's 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 cool. Like it's it's a bit. I was thinking, like, what are the ways this Kino thing's going to happen? Like, end right? Um, 
he's going to join them and they, they all escape together or he's going to die, right? I did not foresee he can't swim, stays behind, you don't know what happens to him. I think that's right. a more interesting choice. It is. So, I mean, like I a like million that. things could have happened. Yeah. He could have jumped in the water and like, you know, maybe – even if he can't swim, someone can probably tell him just like, oh, just like move your arms <laughs> you like, this, like and, this and yeah. and, and we, we yeah. can get there. Yeah. Uh, so maybe he'll survive. Right. Maybe. But I feel like the traditional thing to do would be like he and, and Cassian have like a, like a, a really like – have like an emotional goodbye. And they're yeah. like, good luck wherever you go. And they run off in different directions. Yeah. This I, I, I felt like really fit the – just like the messy chaos of everything uh, a lot better. And um, – but – I think we should talk about the scene where uh, Kino gives the big speech. He gets he gets yeah. on the PA system. Yeah, there, there's some cool moments in that speech where, where so they break into kind of the bridge of this place. Someone someone's about to like zap everyone, right? Mm-hmm. One of the people's about to zap everyone, and they stop him from doing that. And uh, they also of, pretty ruthlessly just blast one of the guys in the control well, room. Well, one of my favorite things is when he's like, "Okay, I want you to turn it all off," and the guy in charge is like. That could mean so many things you're talking about, and then they like just murder a dude, and yeah. then and then the, the other underling is like, okay, okay I'm going to turn it off for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll turn it off, and then and then they turn it off, but then there's like backup hydropower that they then need to deal with as well. So, um, and then Kino gets on the mic and he's like, hey, you you need to give everyone a speech and tell them what to do, and he has a difficult time doing it. Um, now again, this is a thing where I like. I wish I had a little bit more time with Kino to understand him a little bit more, but it works because anyone would be terrified in this situation. Uh, you yeah, know? and he's 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 a company man, meaning like he's right. worked for the you know on behalf of the empire, basically, even though he's a prisoner. Uh, but yeah, what, what about this scene and this speech resonates with you so much, Patrick? I mean, just watching uh, Kino's initial, just like, again, he's been screaming attack a minute ago he's the guy who as soon as we when we first met him he is just the guy barking orders uh on the floor just uh telling everyone what to do uh he's like the highest ranked prisoner there whatever and just watching the actual just him be kind of scared to like get on because basically do public speaking (laughs) and uh and have to talk to a larger group of people and basically like there's all, clearly no turning back already from where they yeah. are, but this just feels like another big step forward where suddenly he has to – there is like more weight on on what he has to do and more responsibility than, there, than before. And watching him start like start out like a little nervous, like like his – there's like a, his voice is cracking a little bit and then just like – with, with the kind of like off-camera just like encouraging of, of, of Andor to be like, you've, you've – well, come on, talk to these people and tell them what to do. I uh, just – building to the point where he's giving this big inspiring speech that ends with like everyone shouting one way out repeatedly yeah. the title of the episode and uh it's stirring stuff yeah um i i just thought this was yeah this was uh you know another an, a new view of of rebellion a big thing you know one of the major ideas of star wars yeah and um i thought it was really exciting i just uh I love Kino, and uh, and I I, I really I, I I've come to really care about this guy, mm-hmm. especially just over the past two episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, great speech, really awesome performance by Andy Serkis, uh, and like just a lot of like cool little cutaways, like as we refer to you seeing like all the different people in the different factory floors. Um, there's a great shot of like all the guards like cowering in fear, like well, with like, their like, little prods. They're like in a, a storage room yeah. or something. As you can see, they're like uh, there's a window on the door, and they're crouching below it so no one can see them in there. Yeah, uh, yeah really great image. All right. Well, that's everything with this episode of Andor. Well, just uh, the very end just ends uh, because we have this. Yeah. And, and then it goes to uh, the Luth and Lonnie scene. And right. then it just comes back to Narkina uh, 5 where Cassian and a couple other people. Uh, it's mostly Melshi. Not Melshi you mostly yeah. see Andor and Melshi like running away, what, like trying they, to stay away from like whatever they've drones are land. tracking them. They've reached land. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's and it's nighttime. It looks like you can see like three moons in the sky. Yeah. They're running barefoot, you know, and – you know, Patrick, I have a feeling they're going to make it. I have a feeling they're going to make it. I hope so. <laughs> All right. These crazy kids. Well, that is going to bring us to this week's the end of this week's episode of Decoding TV. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us. Let us know what you think of Andor at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find us on TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at decodingtv. 
Patrick H. Williams, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, more of my work. Uh, you can watch uh, the videos I make at youtube.com slash Patrick H. Willems and f- follow me uh, for now on social media platforms at Patrick H. Willems. He's Patrick H. Willems. I'm David Chen. We'll see you next week. Two more episodes remain of Andor this season. I'm already missing it, even though it's not over yet. Goodbye, folks.